it can take me about an hour and a half to get there. And what I would do is do that with no, no fluid or food intake, take a little bit of money inside my wetsuit, stop, have a drink, have something to eat at the cafe, and then get back in and go back and do it, do it the other way. The Triathlon Show 126. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Andy Blow on training for a swim run. We discuss uh, both training to complete your first swim run event, if you're completely new to it and just want to give it a crack and have some fun with it, and training to be competitive and uh, try to push the front pack, how that uh, differs from training to complete, and how it differs from uh, training for triathlon swimming and running. We also get into things like gear, nutrition and hydration, and uh, racing strategies, and all these sorts of things that are so important when it comes to swim run. Andy, as uh, you may know, was previously on this podcast in episode 49, when we talked about cramping and hydration and electrolytes, so definitely go and listen to that and uh, there you can also hear a bit more about his his backstory and you can hear his rapid fire questions as you probably know he is the founder of precision hydration and precision hydration is also the sponsor of today's episode they are the provider uh, this is uh, keeping to the swim run theme of hydration for the Ötile world series and that series is uh, like the grand prix of uh, a swim run but it's open for everybody of course but that's where the world's best gather and the world's biggest fields gather from uh, people new to swim run to the very top swim runners in the world precision hydration support Ötile with hydration because it is uh, it is difficult to get your hydration right in swim run it's quite a deceptive environment to be in because you're you can get cold in the water and you don't really necessarily feel the, the first in the same way depends a bit on on the, the air temperature as well but it's um, it's definitely a case where you can't just wing it in hydration you you have to have a plan and uh, to have precision hydration served at the aid stations in those early races definitely helps you do that much more easily We'll get into the problems of uh, logistics of carrying things like hydration and nutrition later in this episode. But if you are looking to get some electrolyte products for your training or other racing, if you're not racing Ötilö series where you get it on the aid stations, then go to precisionhydration.com and use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, and you will get your first box for free. Now let's get into the interview with Andy. One thing that I want to mention is that we did have some audio issues for part of the interview. It's uh, roughly the second quarter, I want to say, where there is uh, kind of some abrasive popping going on. But uh, stick through it because it gets better again towards the end. And uh, it's still listenable, I think, even though uh, it's it's not ideal. But uh, just bear that in mind. All right, so on with the interview. 
Today's guest on that triathlon show is another repeat guest. This time we have Andy Blow back, who was first on in episode 49. And Andy, as you know, is the founder of Precision Hydration, but he's also an unexperienced swim runner. So Andy, welcome back. Thanks, Michael. Good to be back. It's great to have you. And today's topic will be swim run training. So let's just start and get right into it. What uh, do you think does it take to get into swim run if uh, you're a triathlete but you've never done a swim run before? Do you need to be one of the front of the pack swimmers to get into it or what's your take on that? I think I think that it's, it's, it's one of those sports where if you pick the right race, you can almost at any level, if you can do a triathlon, you can do a swim run for sure. Um, the, the only thing to say about the swimming part of it is in some of the the, the races which have big open water component you know or, or a lot of swimming in relation to the running it's it shouldn't be underestimated how how good your swimming maybe needs to be um because the swimming is not like a triathlon swim you know it's very much more in the wilds so so i think you need a good level of confidence in in your swimming but but it doesn't mean it's not accessible to to most triathlon swimmers actually and, and when you mentioned uh, selecting the, the right race, uh, what kind of race could somebody who is maybe less confident in their swim select if they still want to give it a try? I think there's there's more and more races springing up all the time. Um, I know that with the Otelo World Series races, most of those have a sprint race on the day before or the day after, which are definitely more targeted at getting people you know into swim run. They call them sprints, but they're still often taking you know two three hours plus to complete but they're they're often a little more sheltered maybe the longest swims aren't quite as long and they're a good they're a good example of one of the you know kind of more accessible events to do Uh, obviously the distances vary from race to race but uh, just as uh, as an example what would uh, a typical sprint distance race be in terms of swimming and running and and then a typical normal long distance swim run well, I think if I think if you take the one that I did one last year in the Isles of Scilly in in Britain, and the the longer race took the winners, I think just over it was either just over four or just over five hours. I can't remember which it was now, um, but it was it's around about thirty kilometres in total, with around twenty low twenty twenty one twenty two kilometres of running and around. Um, eight or nine of swimming in that one and and that's so that was the sort of ratio for the longer race um so i guess kind of two two thirds running one third swimming and i think the shorter race was similar in proportion but but half the half the total distance so maybe more like 15 15 k's in total okay um, and i think that's you know that's the, the, each one does vary because the terrain and the and the type of the environment was different and, and one of the key differences in those events in the silly Isles was that they they didn't do the long sort of 2k open water swim stretches between the islands they kept all the swims in in coves or along the coastline so the swims are a lot more sheltered and more accessible mm, yeah yeah that, that's a good point about uh, the course how different it is if you have open water and what kind of running it is i know mm. in the swim run that i've done all in swim run which is the finnish national championships it's not even trail running you're you're yeah. fighting your way through the woods a lot of the time and trying to find your way so so the running is really slow going there and that makes it like a, 
a nine hour event for the fastest guys and uh, even though it's uh, only a marathon not 60 kilometers like the the big world championships uh, which is uh, the Ötilö uh, race in the Stockholm archipelago but yeah. let's talk talk training what what kind of training goes into swim run and first if you just want to complete your first swim run what what would you advise that people do in their training i think if you just want to complete it and if it's not your main focus race if you are a triathlete or a multi-sport athlete then largely the 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 vast vast majority of the training you're already doing because you as long as you just you know swim fit to your to your level and run fit to be able to cope with the the, the, the amount of hours and the amount of kilometers that the race is held over then you've got all the basics in place i think it's it's very much so worth looking at some specific practice to to maybe try swimming with your shoes on because that's a big part of swim running adapting using things like a pull boy and potentially paddles in the in the swim figuring out um how that's going to work and how that's going to affect you that's that's important because i think if if you're for instance a swimmer who's who's got a very good leg kick and very reliant on the leg kick it that can be a that that can hamper you in swim run because if you swim with your shoes on and swim with a pool boy, obviously your leg kick is, is less relevant. And I, and I definitely found that from racing myself and racing alongside other people, the, the stronger leg kick swimmers tended to struggle a bit. So I think finding out how easy you find it to swim in shoes and um, with, with the, the other accessories on is, is a good part of the practice. Um, and if you get the opportunity and a big part, because most of these swim run races are partner events, another, another thing would be to train alongside the person that you're competing with. So you can start to figure out who's a bit faster on which discipline, whether you're going to tether together or not, all those kind of the details, um, they're really important, but the fundamental aerobic conditioning and endurance, you can probably rely on your, your general swim and run fitness for that. And and you did a race, didn't you, where you, you had never trained with your partner before when you went over to the US, I think. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That was um that was kind of a last minute decision and there was a guy a, a really great guy called Nate Larley who his brother Todd runs um a company called Coast Endurance and they are the swim training people for the Casco Bay USA swim run. And so Todd and Nate were gonna race together. They did all this training and I think just a few weeks before, literally while they were on the course training, Todd kicked a rock and broke his toe. And so Nate didn't have anyone to race with and um, Lars, the the race director at Swim Run, asked if I would maybe jump in and race with Nate. And that was quite that was that was quite a cool experience because we we met the like two days before, we did a little swim together, we went for a little jog and then we raced. And actually it worked brilliantly. Um, we we got on really well. Nate was a very he's a very good athlete, but also a very chilled kind of character and we we agreed that we were going to start slowly and move you know see if we could move through the field as the race went on and I was very lucky to race with him because he was a great he's a great partner he knew the area and that kind of thing but all of that said I would definitely recommend if you get the opportunity to pick a partner that you you can train regularly with that's a big advantage I think if you're trying to do your best and let's say that you you're signed up for for a swim run for just a, an experience and and have some fun 
how many of those more specific training sessions do you recommend doing like getting in the open water and actually doing swim run training uh, just a few times to get used to the equipment and all that sort of thing yeah i think the first time that i did the um otolo in 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 the stockholm archipelago the big race i probably only did i would say maybe six proper swim run training sessions obviously we did a lot of swimming and a lot of running but but the logistics of unless you live somewhere where you've got very easy accessible place to jump in and out of the open water and run alongside it then it's quite a lot of it takes quite a lot of setup and um you know we for, for me as long as you can do it a handful of times that's that's probably good enough and let's say you want to move on and you want to compete and actually be be competitive in a swim run event which you can be if you're a good triathlete yeah. already even if it's your first event what how does the training then uh then start to to differ from triathlon training i i think then what you've probably got to start to look at i'm sure you know i'm, I'm sure there are some triathletes who are doing very well at the sharp end of, of swim run but i think more and more so the guys and girls at the top are are basically doing swim run training so you know that if they're riding their bikes at all then i think that takes that very much takes third place in the training hierarchy they're probably doing a lot of a lot of um a lot of very specific swim training in the open water with shoes you know with their full kit they're probably doing a lot of a lot of trail running um very specific to the nature of the courses because i think some people are quite shocked when they turn up in somewhere like stockholm and for the for the big race in september and they find that some of the running is almost not running it's climbing over boulders it's scrabbling through trees stuff which if you've if if you've not really got your mind and body prepared for that you'll you'll find it quite tough tough so i think if you want to be competitive now in swim run then the training specificity and on the type of environment that the course offers is very important and how much do you think that uh, the top guys and girls uh train swimming compared to running what would be the rough distribution between the two i think in, a, in an ideal world you would it, it depends very much on personal strengths and weaknesses because if you are obviously a strong swimmer already but but running is the weakness then you you would naturally if you can tilt the tilt the training in favor of the running in order to bring that bring that up to a similar level um, vice versa obviously if you're more of a more of a swimmer um i would i would say in terms of you know if if you if you're fairly equal on swim and run in terms of your ability and fairly equal with your partner then you'll probably almost spend around about a 50-50 split of time in the week swimming and running obviously you cover a lot more distance when you run for an hour than when you swim for an hour so your mileage will be higher but a, a reasonably equal proportion would would be quite good um especially uh, Running is the one way people mostly tend to get injured. So being able to complement it with days when you only swim is is a good thing. I've I've certainly found that for me, running probably would be margin you know, generally be marginally stronger for me in terms of the two disciplines. But because of injuries, I inevitably end up doing more swimming because it's a safer way to get fit. Yeah, and uh, so your is is a swim run race currently your big goal race? You are racing in Stockholm again this year, uh, aren't you? 
yes, I'm doing. I've I've been I've been dragged, kind of kicking and screaming. Well, not not kicking and screaming, but I, um, a friend of mine, Paul Newsom, who is the founder of Swim Smooth. He and I, Paul and I, used to train together when we were about 19, 20, 21 at the University of Bath, and then we have been out of contact for a lot of years. And Paul got in touch with me last year after we'd seen each other at some events and some swim runs, and he said, you know, what we're, we're both forty around this time so he's 40 in september this year i'm 40 in october and he said well, wouldn't it be great if we sign up and do this this race together and i sort of thought yeah, actually that, that would be really nice to do that so he's he's getting really fit at the moment because he's down in perth in australia he's doing triathlons and he's, he's an excellent swimmer anyway so my, my instead of it being like a competitive a goal for the year my, my competitive goal is to not let paul down and to you know keep up with him basically yeah yeah but is, is that your your big goal for the year or do you have things in between that uh or, or what kind of what, what I'm getting into is when you get into your serious swim run training mode, what would a typical training week look like for you? Yeah, so it, yes, to answer that specifically, it is it is the biggest thing I'm doing this year going forward. Um, I'm, I'm doing the race in the Isles of Scilly as a, as a build-up race, which is in June. But um, what I'm going to be doing, it's about, we're about, uh, well, we'll be 16 weeks or so away from the race at the end of this month. And up until now, my focus has been on just accumulating some swim and run mileage. So I've just been gradually doing a little bit more, a little bit more um, building up to just, just a very basic level of fitness. And then what I intend to do is, is, um, I tend to work well these days off a, a four-week cycle of training where one of the weeks is a little, little bit easier. Um, I find that that helps me not to burn out and not to get injured quite so much. So I'll be doing four blocks of four weeks, which three of which will increase and one of which will reduce. And then my, my main focus, because of the length of the, the race in, in Sweden, is actually going to be more tilted towards volume rather than intensity. So I'll be aiming to accumulate more, more and more running mileage through those weeks, more and more swimming mileage. And although it's not, it's not entirely true to say I won't be focused on the intensity, I'll, that'll be a, how fast I can go is a secondary goal to becoming robust enough to survive the you know, eight, nine, ten hours, whatever the race is going to take. Yeah, because that is like nine kilometers of swimming and sixty kilometers of running, trail running. So, yeah. uh, so it's a it's a strength uh, a strength event and not not something that you need to be fast for. Exactly. I mean, I think I remember last time being when I did it a few years ago, being very surprised at just how broken I was afterwards. And I think that was largely down to the you know the nature of you know, running sixty kilometers on what back then was relatively light run training mileage. I, I underestimated how much that would take out of me before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you then uh, structure a week in that uh, you do high volume training? How many swims? How many runs? And uh, and are yeah, if you can go into a bit of more detail there. Sure. Yeah. My my training is when I say high volume, it's high volume for me, and that wouldn't be high volume, I don't think, for a lot of athletes um, these days. If I can accumulate um, nine or ten hours training in a week, that's a very solid week because I've got two. I've got two little kids. One who's one year old. One who's four. Um, my wife works. I've got busy. Um, you know, busy job running, precision hydration. So what I tend to do is al- almost always I'll aim to train every single day. Um, what inevitably happens is travel or something gets in the way. So I tend to actually end up training six days a week, but my goal is to train seven. Uh, I'll swim usually three mornings in the week. And at the moment they're exclusively in the pool, but in the next few weeks I'll be moving one of those into the open water. And those sessions would be anywhere between two and a half thousand meters. And the longest I've got up to now is about three and a half thousand meters. And the idea is eventually I'll push that up to four or five thousand meters uh, as the summer goes on. Uh, running up until now has been a case of, I live about um, two or three miles from my office and I can extend that run to four or five miles quite easily so I'm trying to run in and out of work uh, a couple of times each week and then I'll be doing a longer run at the weekend um, starting off literally with eight or nine k as my long run and just building that up until I, I aim to be doing a few runs of 30 to 40k for a long run in the late summer uh, and on, and then I will be adding in one sort of speed type running session 
each week, which will be 800 meter repetitions or kilometer repetitions, and starting to just just to nudge the speed forward. Um, and that will be that will be probably three out of four weeks. I'll I'll do that on an e- on one evening in the week. Will uh, Will you have trail running as a big part of that running, or or is it uh, a lot of it on uh, on the pavement? Uh, I'm quite lucky. So where I live, I haven't got access to the really rugged, fantastic wild trails, but I do have lots of little coastal trails that I can link together. So I would say at least 50% of most of my runs is on sort of you know soft underfoot on rocks on trails uh, the rest of it is on roads just connecting up the little sections of tracks so and I, when I go and do my long runs on the weekend I'll go and run in the forest I'll go and run along the coastal path to make sure that it's, it's predominantly trail running because for the strength in your ankles and and the, you know climbing and scrambling over rocks and things it's, it's very important to keep that practice in okay um I'm going to pause the recording here because we're getting okay. some a bit some popping some abrasive popping here and then we'll just restart so just a second Okay, now it uh, sounds better, so uh, we'll try again. Sorry for that uh, poor audio for for a while to the listeners, but uh, I think it's uh, still listenable. So let's. Uh, I have one more training related question, and that is, uh, well, you kind of kind of answer it, but if you just sum up, how is the swim training when you are in swim run training mode different uh, compared to when you're in you're doing swim training for triathlon? What are the main differences? I think the main differences for me are I would use hand paddles more in training because there's there's the, a strong possibility that I would use hand paddles in the race. I wouldn't always use hand paddles in the race, and if there's if the for instance if it's very very rough and windy, and if um, that that would be you know chatting to Paul about this because he's he's more of the expert in this area. He is he is definitely of the mind that paddles can be advantageous in smooth flat conditions, and if you've done the mileage to be strong enough to use them. But when it gets rough and when there's a high ratio of running to swimming, sometimes they can actually be more of a hindrance. So as a backup, though, I would always do a good proportion of swim training with paddles to make sure that I'm strong enough to use them if if I decide to use them when the race comes around um, i think they're good for you know for open water swimming strength anyway and then the other thing would be a little bit more of a focus on specific sessions in the open water with shoes and with a pull boy and with a swim run wetsuit um, in terms of the actual session detail in the pool i would say it's very similar to the type of sessions that i was doing when i was training for ironman which would be you know, I, I guess in the similar way to a lot of how a lot of triathletes would train with a lot of emphasis on kind of race pace work broken down, 100, 100 meter repetitions, 200s, 400s, um, short recoveries, and very occasionally some high end speed work just to stay sharp and stay efficient. And what about the, the run training? We, we mentioned uh, running on trails and specific terrain. Is there anything else in terms of the, the specifics of the workout structure? Well, Again, one one thing which is a, a bit of a strange one to do, but I would actually go for some short runs in the wetsuit um, and with the, the racing shoes and those sorts of things. Um, you probably have to go out early in the morning to avoid the people stare, stopping and staring at you to do that. But just um, just to make sure you know you're comfortable running in the wetsuit that you've chosen, that you can carry the the gels or the equipment that you need to take with you that you're not going to get chafing. Uh, in terms of the sort of running sessions, it's it's a bit like um, it's a bit like doing, uh, I guess, any kind of trail ultramarathon training, but but definitely not neglecting the fact that um, you know the very very rugged underfoot conditions are what you're going to encounter in most of these races, even if it's only getting into and out of the water. So expecting it to be a, a smooth run in on, on a lovely beach and a, an easy thing to climb out all the time is is 
is just unrealistic. So getting getting out, getting onto the rough stuff to to become specifically good at that, yeah, is, is another is very important. Right, and uh, let's talk a little bit about gear because that's something that uh, is used and uh, needs to be used in swim run. Do you have any? Uh, people know probably, or they can go back and listen to my first episodes on swim run training. They know kind of what gear is used: the paddles, the swim run suit, uh, having the pool boy tethered to you, etc. But but do you have specific tips on what, uh, how to select, for example, your paddles and your pool boy, your swim run suit, your shoes, and anything that comes to mind that is important for anybody who wants to get into swim run? Yeah, definitely. I, I think equipment is a big topic in swim run, and it's still evolving because people haven't figured out all the most efficient ways to to do things. The, the starting point for me would always be to look at every piece of equipment and to be sensible sensible about it but be as minimalist as possible so what's the least you can carry what's the lightest you can go and with the i I see people doing some of these races with a camelback you know carrying carrying fluids and things and um and and nutrition and and whatever else and their their first aid kits in there but for me you know the drag of having to swim with that for you know up to 10 kilometers or whatever is is probably just not worth it and and so i would i would go as minimal as possible is as a starting point with the equipment and then kind of going from the the ground up shoes need to be lightweight quick draining but with um with with very good grip so i've used i've i've mainly tended to gravitate towards the innovate shoes because they have um you know, quite flexible rubber sole and, and good grip on the rocks, but anything that you feel confident running on multi-terrain on. And if, if you're, if you're not very light on your feet, um, definitely worth looking at something with toe protection because it's very easy to kick rocks when you're coming in and out of the water or when you're running on the rocks. And as um, Todd, the guy who was supposed to be racing with Nate in Casco Bay found it's very easy to break or bruise a toe if you've not got if you if you've not got toe protection if it's really cold i have used some very very thin 0.5 millimeter neoprene socks inside the shoes which help a little bit with buoyancy but more importantly they just keep your feet warm on on the really long day out and the the main thing to do if you if you think you, you might need to use those is make sure you do plenty of running with those in the right shoes just to make sure they're not going to cause blisters Otherwise, regular socks or no socks. If you can, if you can go with no socks, if the temperatures and are fine and you don't get blisters, then kind of going up the legs. I've I've used um, neoprene calf guards in most of the races that I've done. If I've not worn a full length wetsuit, because I think they really help with the buoyancy of the lower leg and they also help keep you warm because a lot of these races are in cold water. Uh, and then on the going up to your upper leg, yeah, you've got a uh, most people will opt to use a pool boy, which I think is very sensible because it keeps your feet and legs higher in the water and keeps your hips up. That um, There's plenty of good videos online to show you how to put some elastic laces, you know, drill it, put some elastic laces through and attach it to your leg so it can easily be rotated in and out uh, when you're running and when you're swimming. Round, round the waist, if you're going to tether, you might need a, a thin belt with a with a... a a hook on it or sorry a, a loop on it that you can t- attach your tether to and your partner's tether to and that should be very thin and lightweight and sit you know fairly fairly 
fairly close. You can either make something yourself out of a you know a rope with a loop in it, or or get something that velcros on. In terms of the the wetsuit, I the first swim run races I did, I used a wetsuit with a zip down the back, like a triathlon wetsuit that was cut up. And that was, I think was a big disadvantage because if you can, if you can afford to splash out on a proper swim run wetsuit and have one with a zip in the front for the longer runs, it's so good to be able to unzip it. And not only can you get gels or anything you need out of the inside of the suit then, but you can cool down more effectively. So I think as a front zip suit is a really good idea in terms of on the hands, whether you go for paddles or not is is quite an important decision that you need to make quite early on because if you think you're going to use them, you're going to need to put training mileage in with them. And then I'm currently working with a set of small paddles and a set of medium paddles and trying to figure out whether I've got a strong preference for one or the other. And I think it seems to me at the moment like I would probably use in on a very flat, glassy, calm day, I would probably use the larger paddles on a slightly rougher a windier day I would use the small paddles and on a very rough and very windy day I would go without paddles so I think it's good to have those those kind of options and have that pre-decided before the race and then going up from there really um, you might want a neoprene hat or neoprene ear warmer if the water is very cold to go under your race swim hat and obviously a, a good set of goggles that that have lenses that are the appropriate color or a, the appropriate level of um, sun protection de- depending on whether it's going to be you know, a bright sunny day or whether it's going to be a very dark day when you need something light enhancing and I think that would that would be the main rundown of, of key race kit for me yeah perfect I'll, I'll just uh, add a couple of things I used in really cold I haven't used it in racing but in training I did use uh, like some thermal wear under the suit because yeah. it's uh, it helps uh, a bit with staying staying warm when it's really cold and then the second thing is that with the the suit itself it's also compared to just cutting up a a triathlon wetsuit it's uh, so much better to run in a good swim run suit they make them flexible yes. around uh, around the legs and and around the quads and 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 hamstrings and hips so so that's another uh, i think actually that's maybe even more important because in many races the running is uh still a larger much larger component than the swim so if you can be comfortable running in the suit it's going to be a big big advantage yeah i think i think you're right when one of the reasons i think my legs were so sore after the original otolo race i did was i was running in a triathlon wetsuit and the stress on your hips and hamstrings is very very significant because you're having to really push your your knee through on every running stride whereas you're right the the proper suits are so much more flexible they're good the the other thing i just thought of as well um, which is relevant especially to the otolo races themselves is then some of these races for ecological reasons are not having cups at the aid stations now which you know to reduce waste which i think is a really good good idea but what it means is that you need to carry a cup or a a small bottle with you to fill up and drink from at the aid stations and you can get those fantastic kind of silicon bag type drink bottles um, nowadays that a lot of ultra runners use and they collapse down to virtually no size at all and you could you could carry one of those inside your suit to take it to each of the 
each of the aid stations, fill it up, and then either drink it there and then or, or drink on the go while you're running, stuff it back inside your suit before the next swim. Yeah, so so let's move on to that, to the nutrition hydration part. You mentioned not recommending having a camelback, so it's, but you usually you would have that inner pocket or or a back pocket on some wetsuit, so you can carry some things, but it varies from wetsuit to wetsuit. But what would you carry, and how would you carry it, and what would you get from aid stations when it comes to nutrition and hydration? Generally, with the with the races that I've only, I've only raced Otolo races and the swim run USA races, which have, which have both got really excellent energy and aid stations on the courses. So I think if you're racing in a race where you can look at it and go, right, there's enough aid stations out there to basically see me through the entire course. I would, I would tend to carry close to no nutrition and hydration with me the only things i've carried in the races are maybe three or four energy gels um because i would either want to supplement what i can get on the course for some of the longer stretches or just as a backup in case i do feel like i'm running out of calories later on um but i have to say i think out of the four or five races that i've done i've probably only taken one or two of those gels the whole time I've, I've basically relied on the aid stations and and what that means is is allowing yourself a little bit of extra time to make sure you're getting adequate calories and fueling and, and hydration in at the aid stations but it it removes the need to carry all this extra stuff with you and it does take some confidence in your in your ability and it, and it also i do understand that you know relatively I've been racing closer to the front than the back of the races. And so moving a bit faster, it's less time between the aid stations. So there might be people who say, well, actually, you know, it's going to take me two hours to get from this point to the, another aid station. They, there might be a case there where people do want to carry a little bit more to supplement. But in general, I think in my experience, most of the races are very well catered for. So I'd be, I'd be aiming to fuel up, you know, at, at the aid stations predominantly. And uh, so let's say, what? how long is your longest race? How long has that been? And how much energy would you then take in per hour? I guess it just doesn't matter how long the race is, but how much energy would you aim to take in per hour? And how would you approach your hydration strategy? Yeah, it's... Um... The longest one I did was the, the one in Stockholm, and which was just over, I think, just over nine hours. And to be honest, because of the way the energy stations there were based at, I would typically aim for something like 60, 70 grams of carbohydrate an hour, you know, in line with the, the kind of usual sport nutrition recommendations. Um, and what I found there was that I basically, without being silly, almost ate as much as I could at each aid station that we went through. As I, I, I took the view that a little bit more was better than a little bit less because I was unsure. I know that you can potentially burn through a lot more calories in the cold and the water there is relatively cold. I, t I feel like I tend to feel the cold worse than some people as well. So I, I took a view to eat a little bit more rather than a little bit less. And so it, it would be very hard to kind of give an accurate assessment of what I ate. But generally, I would probably have eaten, say, three or four items at every aid station which and an item would have been an energy gel and a or a piece of chopped up cake or a half an energy bar or a handful of um jelly sweets or a piece of fruit or something like that and then 
I would wash that down with, you know, we precision hydration provide the drinks for Otolo, which is perfect for me because I could, we have the, you know, the stronger electrolyte drinks on the course. And I would, I would wash the, the food down with those. Um, and, and some waters, some plain water as well, especially if you're swimming in the salt water sea. Um, and, and again, within reason, I'd be drinking, you know, as much as I felt comfortable to tolerate at those aid stations. So probably somewhere between, you know, two and four cups of fluid at each one, knowing that, um, you know, it, knowing that it's, it's going to be a while till I get to the next one. So I'd rather leave the aid station feeling a little bit full rather than like I wish I'd taken more on. And, and what do you think was the average distance in time between, uh, between aid stations for you? I'm trying to remember now, but I think it was rare. It was rare that it was more than one hour, or or significantly more than one hour. Yeah, I know that on the very long run in the the race in Sweden, I did feel like I was running low on very low on fluids. I was getting very very thirsty yeah. uh, because it was because although the water was cold, the year I did it, the air temperature was quite high, and so definitely what I'll be doing this year is taking one of the 500 milliliter. 16 ounce um uh, silicon bottles and i'll be i'll be filling that up at the start of that run as well as having a drink and taking that with me on the long run because i think that will be very helpful it makes for an interesting challenge when you need to because the usual recommendations as you say 60 to 70 grams of carbs your the recommendations are to take it in uh more more frequently like every 20 yeah. minutes or so and there you don't have the uh, the opportunity to do that with the length of or at least in some cases you need to basically fuel for an entire hour in one go and and mm. just hope that you you can tolerate it so so potentially for people with a sensitive uh, stomach they they actually need to train things like that and be be aware of the course and where the aid stations are and how long they will roughly need to to go from aid station to aid station when definitely that's that's all part of the pre-race prep is kind of figuring that out in your head and and you're right i i 100 agree in terms of training your body to do that you know when i've done some of my long swim run training sessions one of the things that i did was uh I've, I live in Bournemouth on the south coast of England, and there's a nice, there's a there's a very nice cafe on the beach, which is around. It's probably in a in a straight line would be around ten uh, kilometers from where I from where I live, and to to swim run there, swimming in the sea and then running along the beach and swimming in the sea, I, I, it can take me about you know an hour and a half to get there, and what I would do is do that with no no fluid or food intake, take a little bit of money inside my wetsuit, stop, have a drink, have something to eat at the cafe and then get back in and go back and do it, do it the other way. And I, and so you do feel uncomfortably full when you've done that and you, you, it's not very nice running and swimming with that full stomach feeling, but it soon passes. And I think by doing it, things like that in training, you do adapt to it. Yeah, uh, sounds like a nice, nice experience. That <laughs> cafe suite, yeah. <laughs> want to call it that. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, questions. Uh, what's your favorite swim run event that you've done so far? Ooh, yeah, I think I think in in terms of because the pain the pain memories have faded now. It's the the, the big one in Sweden, the Otelo World Championships, is just such an epic event. It's so well organized. It's it's it is. You know, unbelievable scenery, unbelievably rugged. It 
it tears you to shreds in terms of how much it hurts. It's that it, it kind of is the ultimate experience, really. And that's not to say the others that I've done, the Silly Isles is beautiful. Um, last year when we did it, the, the weather was, you know, perfect. It was blue skies, calm water. It was, it was like being in the Mediterranean or something. It was, it was amazing. Um, the, the one in Casco Bay in Maine was, you know, equally good. We had fantastic weather. It's, it's another beautiful place to see. And, and I think that's, that's one of the great things about the sport is you, I've, I've not heard of a race in a bad location. And, and I think they've all got, they've all got something to offer. I, I've not, I've not been there yet, but I think the one in Havar in Croatia looks, looks great. That, that one, I saw the photos a, a week or so ago from there and that looked, that looked phenomenal. But for me, you know, in terms of the, the all round package, the, the big one in Sweden is probably, you know, it's, it's the one to aim for. Would the Croatia one be a bucket list race for you? And do you have any others that are like high up on your bucket list to do in the future? Um, well, there's a new one in in the US in the San Juan Islands in the Pacific Northwest, which is somewhere I've never been, and I'd love to go there. So that's that's probably top of the wish list at the moment. Um, I don't think I'll get an opportunity to do it this year because I think it's I think it's not I think it's close to the World Champs in the calendar, and I probably won't be recovered. Um, so that would be really high up. Um, I also, part of me really wants to do the Engadin one in, in, um, in, in Switzerland, but I'm, I'm a, I have to be honest, I'm a little bit afraid of the cold water there. Uh, I think it is really cold. What, what's the temperature? My, sing, I, I think it's single digits in Celsius. Oh, wow. So, so you know, definitely, and at altitude as well. So you probably have to go and adapt to the thin air a little bit as well. So that, that, I wouldn't say that puts me off, but that makes me think twice about the level of preparation. Yeah, yeah. If you want to experience a really challenging one, we we had participants that had been to uh, the big race in Stockholm as well, and they said that uh, it uh, that didn't necessarily well. It almost faded in comparison. The Åland Swim Run, which is in the yeah. southwest of Finland, where I come from, that's a brilliant one. So if you if you want. A partner one of these years for that race then uh, just uh, send me a message well that that could be good yeah what time of year is that it's september usually mid mid-september mm. so the, the, yeah, the water temperature would be around like 13 degrees and uh, it's in many ways probably pretty similar to the the stockholm one but uh, but even the running especially is uh, more challenging and more more rugged and and remote mm. i know you're injured at the moment but do you think you'll do that one this year Probably not this year for for that reason, and and yeah. if I'm not injured, then I'll probably do uh, do some seventy point three or ITU long distance races, yeah. but but potentially next year again. Yeah. So, but we'll yeah we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, let's let's keep that that uh, at the back of, back of our minds, and uh, hopefully maybe do it next year. Yeah, that sounds like it could be a plan. Okay, uh, so thanks a lot uh, for the listeners uh, who are wondering. Your rapid fire questions are back in episode forty nine, so we'll skip yep. those today. But uh, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for sharing your experience on swim run training and racing. Yeah, thank you, and um, I hope you're you know hope you. I know that you're suffering at the moment with your injuries, Michael. So I hope that improves for you. And uh, I guess it's if it's if it's not improving anything else it'll be making you able to put out more podcasts which is good for everyone <laughs> yes thank you thanks a lot 
I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I really enjoyed it as well and it uh, made me really actually excited to go and uh, do another swim run. I, I would love to do the Åland swim run that we talked about. I would also love to try out some of the Ötile races. The, the Croatia one that we mentioned a little bit looks beautiful, but also the Stockholm, the grand tour, the grand final, sorry, or the world championship is uh, the correct term that I should use. That's uh, something that's, uh, that would be just so epic to take part of, and uh, one day I'm sure I will do that. Uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's a fun sport, and that's my main takeaway. You have to try a swim run, even if you just do the minimal preparation possible, just to try it, complete one, see what it's like. It's so much fun, such a different experience from a triathlon that you just have to give it a go. And uh, I have some some reference information on swim run, some other podcast episodes, two of them to be precise, in episodes 57, and that was a solo episode called How to Train for a Swim Run. And episode 63, which is the only race report I've ever done on the podcast. And I did that together with Simon Brierley. We took part in the Orleans Swim Run last year and we won it. And we report on that experience. And of course, I'll also link to Andy's previous episode on here. That one was called Hydration, Sodium and Cramping with Andy Blow. And it was episode 49. For this episode, as usual, you can find the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. Leave your comments and questions there if you have any. Uh, Have you taken part in the swim run? Are you planning to do so? Which races? Love to hear your thoughts. And if you are interested in giving swim run a real crack and want some help with it, I do also provide coaching and training plans for swim run. Uh, Currently, I coach one guy who has a swim run as his main goal, and that is, in fact, the Orland Swim Run, but uh, but this is uh, Adam from the UK, so hi Adam, and uh, you'll notice that I did get your question in today's interview. But uh, if uh, anybody else is interested in uh, in training plans or similar, email me michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K. And thank you again to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. And you can find them on precisionhydration.com where you can take their free online sweat test to find out your electrolyte needs. And then you can use that information to purchase electrolyte products that are tailored to those needs and can be used directly with the race strategy, race hydration strategy that you'll get from that as a result of that online sweat test. So that's uh, just a fantastic service that uh, that it really is unmatched in this space, I think. Again, that's precisionization.com and remember the promo code that's triathlon show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.